This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin. You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Process Magazine is the latest player to enter the increasingly niche but still vibrant independent magazine scene. Focusing on thematic conversations with people from the creative industry, Process treads a path that's familiar and yet unique enough for people who have read iterations of its kind. In the magazine, you can read interviews with various people from different backgrounds, articles and features that fit the spirit of the community. There are interviews with notable figures such as Jun Lau, Ng Sek San, Ngku Iman, OJ Law and many others. Ahead of his official launch this weekend, we speak to his co-founder Liu Kong Hui to find out what he hopes to achieve with this passion project. Hi, my name is Kong Hui. I'm 26 years old and well, I'm from Subang Jaya. Uh, I work as an analyst at a tech company during the day and I also moonlight as the editor and co-founder of Process Magazine. Uh, maybe you can share with us what's your relationship like with magazines? Uh, are you a, you know, an avid reader of magazines? And what kind of magazines do you actually read if you do read magazines? Right, right. So, Yeah, actually, growing up is really interesting. Like, I used to always like visit like bookstores and like uh, you know, like any kid, I think we're always drawn to the colors and like how like you know, popping like magazines were. And it's really interesting. One of the key magazines that I really really enjoyed was actually football related, like four four two. So you know, I was really drawn by how uh, diverse the content was. Right, there was like some really hard hitting interviews with like footballers. There's also some really fun parts where. You know they would have all sorts of weird trivia. You know, so I think that really sort of like informed like what the medium of magazines can be. And I think like growing up uh, as I grew older, you know, I studied abroad for a while, so there was you know magazine shops where you know they would literally stock magazines from all around the world. You know, art magazines, fashion magazines, like all sorts of things. And I think from there, you know, I think it further uh, informed. My education or my knowledge of what magazines are, and I think you know that's where all all the collecting also kind of began, Yeah, I see. So you're you're a collector of magazines. Like, what can you give examples of magazines that you have collected? So I have quite a range actually. So I have some from like closer to home, like in uh, Staple Magazine. So Staple Magazine is a Singaporean one that I like. Uh, there's of course Apartamento. So Apartamento is you know I'm pretty sure a lot of people are very familiar with that. Uh, recently, I got hold of Zero Thirty Two C, so that's more of a fashion magazine. So I do have quite a lot of, a little bit of everything, to be honest. So yeah, I, could, I can't really land specific ones come to mind at the moment. Yeah, but the thing about process is that it's more of that, a bit more like a specialized kind of magazine, right? I I find it quite interesting that you brought up Four Four Two because Four Four Two is. A bit different in terms of his approach, as much as the content can be quite, I guess, diverse and also hard. I think, like you said, but um, your magazine is a bit more catered towards the more thoughtful kind of magazine. You know, if there's a way to describe it, right? Um, so, what makes you want to, like, I guess, work towards this kind of, you know, writing or this kind of magazine that's, I guess, a bit more uh, of a long form style magazine? Right, right. Well, I think the idea for process, I think, came around like 2019. I think, uh, you know, I was really curious to learn more about the thought processes or the ideas of you know our local artists but i couldn't really find a place that really captured like the ups and downs of like a creative career i think like you know online magazines or say popular magazines i think because of how the magazine 
or, or like the media landscape works, it doesn't really allow them to create this very long form sort of like uh, features of uh, artists or creatives. Lah. So I think, you know, many of my friends were also looking for something like this. So me and my, my co-founder, Shafiq Shata, so we actually decided, you know, why don't we actually create this ourselves? So uh, I think that was really kind of like the origin uh, of uh, why we decided to start Process Magazine. Mm. It's kind of interesting that you decided to start this, I think, in 2019, right? When the reading patterns, reading behaviors of people have sort of changed one way or another. I think um, internet is a bit more present. Not to mention, you know, the kind of like various distractions that we have right on top of the internet. You know, we have other things as well, but I guess the internet is sort of like the platform, the way for people to consume content, be it whether through social media or through, you know, online platforms, right? Like you said, online magazines and whatnot. So what made you want to still retain the classic format of, you know, having like a physical magazine? Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, oh, we, we always get this question all the time. And I think like uh, for us, you know, we kind of joke that you know, because our generation, we work with computers and software so much that, you know, subconsciously, we are kind of like yearning to create something tactile and less ephemeral. But uh, I think it's also personal preference. I think for me, I really enjoy reading like physical books. Like I, I think like ebooks don't really cut it for me. I've tried like a Kindle and I, I think like somehow it, I just didn't really take to it because of how like uh, I think easy, like the whole process is you just literally pick up a book and, you know, I think for your eyes as well, it's just easier to read on uh, like paper. And I think as you mentioned just now about the amount of distractions that, you know, reading online or any sort of phone or on like a tablet will have. So I think, you know, having it as a physical book format, I think that will really allow us to let the content really shine through. So I think that is also playing to the strengths of a physical book, which is, you know, allowing really long form text to actually shine yeah okay so you want process to be more oriented towards the creatives right to be more focused on people in the arts is, is that a fair assessment of of what i guess creatives trying to talk to or speak to yeah yeah yeah, yeah i guess you could say that yeah mm, okay and walk me through the quote-unquote process of um i guess actually creating the magazine considering that uh you had this idea and with your co-founder um, how did you then work towards materializing the magazine <laughs> So um, I think a lot of what we do or what we know about the magazine is all kind of self-taught. Um, I think we learn a lot through, you know, like YouTube tutorials and also like Medium. So there's this guy, his name is Kai Brach. If I'm not butchering his name, he's like a German guy who started a print magazine. And, and he basically shared like, you know, the A to Z of magazine making on his Medium. And it was super, super helpful like, for us. I think we were like, you know, kind of blind meeting the blind sort of thing when we started um, but, you know, after a while, I think we kind of have a little process, oh, geez, uh, uh, no pun intended, going on, where, you know, before we start an issue, we always start with a team and a tone that we want to pursue. And I think that pretty much informs, like, the content or the design language of each, mag- of, of each issue uh, of the magazine. Lah. So from there, you know, we also came up with a formula for our content. So we have five interviews, four essays, three features, uh, two visual stories and one zine within a zine, which is uh, a special feature uh, within our magazine. So using this framework, I think like it really helps us to set a, set a direction and also like, uh, you know, keeps it, keeps it sort of like simple for us moving forward. Uh, you know, we don't have to really reinvent the wheel. We can just sort of just like follow this framework that we are using now. 
I see. Yeah, I was just about to ask about the question of whether you set the team first or you source for, I guess, articles or writers first. Ah, uh, so it seems right, like you right, right. you set out with a team first and then only you, then start finding writers to talk about the team that you've chosen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's normally how we go about it, lah. Now these days. Hmm. Okay. So, um, what's the process of <laughs> again, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, of I guess looking for <laughs> looking for writers and uh, you know, uh, contributors to the magazine. Right, right. So normally, uh, right after we have a team in mind, uh, that's where we conduct an open call. Uh. So we usually post it up on our IG or like Facebook, you know, and we get like writers, uh, photographers, uh, basically anyone who might be interested in contributing to the magazine to submit their say writing samples or portfolios. Uh, so yeah, this this probably takes around like two to three weeks. You know, we get everyone to sort of email in. Uh, then after that, yeah, we take our time to really sift through or go through each of these submissions that we receive. And, you know, after actually filtering and, and seeing all these submissions that we have, uh, then we will see if like, oh, their style of writing matches what we're trying to do. That's when we reach out and then we work really closely with the writer or say the photographer to ensure that their piece or their contribution to the magazine is the best that it can be. So that's generally how we determine the people or contributors that work or come true for the magazine yeah i see okay because i think based on what i've seen it looks like you know you speak to some personalities some big name personalities especially in the first uh volume but um the interview is not necessarily catered towards i guess a profile piece but rather towards the team right um did you have to somehow i guess perhaps you know um in, in approaching these people or in approaching potential writers um guide them towards i guess um the team that, that you want or perhaps they're the one who come to you with with the, the ideas uh, I think it's like a it's a two way street, like I would say. I think like say for example with the latest issue, uh, forms of contemplation. You know, we work with writers like uh, Katija, Mirzan, Lian, Loy, uh, Dennis Ong, and also um, Ling Jie. So all of them were pretty good writers or pretty like um, experienced in one way or another. So I think it's a lot of back and forth. We have like a lot of video calls. I think this all this like work happened during like MCO, right? So, you know, we have like a lot of back and forth. We discuss like, oh, what, you know, do they also want to show? Like what, what's something that they are interested in to actually like share with the world? And how does that say tie back to the team that we have for the magazine, right? So I think from there, then like this Google Doc will probably get like tons and tons of like, you know, editing notes. And then like, you know, finally we actually reach like the final product that, you know, both parties are happy with. Lah. So I think it's a really sort of like collaborative sort of like, process where like you know we sort of like decide on like uh, what we actually want to work with or work together on yeah mm. uh, what's that process like for you i mean uh, considering that i think you don't have any experience in this right so was was that process like easy or difficult to to do you know this whole back and forth thing with your contributors mm, i guess like in the beginning it was slightly daunting but i think in a way you know, having sort of like uh, not a lot of experience, I think it allows me to sort of like see it in a very reader's point of view. I think like, you know, because my experience mostly is from, you know, the consumption of these magazines. So I think from there, it really allows me to sort of decide like, oh, this is something that, you know, maybe me as a reader would be interested in reading it. So I think that's, you know, I try not to put too much pressure into thinking like, oh, you know, like this is, you know, we have to follow this direction or something. I think as long as it's something that is enjoyable to read and like, I think that people will be, you know, people like me or the reader would be interested in reading, uh, then we sort of just run with it. That sort of thing. I think that's the wonderful thing about, you know, independent publishing, right? Because like, you know, no one really sets the tone. You don't have like stakeholders that you have to sort of like, you know, help you set the tone. You sort of decide 
you know, or like what is it that you like or what do you think that, you know, people like you, your readers would like and that's how we roll with it. Lah. So that kind of informs the direction of the magazine, yeah. That was Liu Konghui, co-founder and editor of Process Magazine. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and joining me this week is Liu Konghui. He's the co-founder and editor of Process Magazine, an independent annual magazine that showcases thematic thoughts by people in the creative industry. He spoke about how the magazine came to be in the first part of the show and now we're going to continue the conversation by looking more at the process, no pun intended. How about the technical aspects of things? For example, you know, designing, um, you know, what about, you know, editing and those things, right? Do you do it yourself or do you have to look for help uh, from others as well? Especially if, let's say, for example, you know, if you need a second eye to help you uh, in editing some of the articles, some of the features, um, you know, even the design of the magazine. Yeah. So how important is, you know, the process of collaborating with others as well when it comes to, when it comes to this? Or is, it, is everything just uh, DIY, you do it yourself? kind of thing uh, I think it's also a mix like say for example with the interviews right uh, the interviews is also really lo-fi so basically it's kind of just me uh, I kind of reach out to the people that we're going to interview and I go over to the office to take photographs and also uh, begin the editing process so I think uh, it's just a combination of the stuff that you know I've done in the past right? I think earlier I spoke about my time as, a, as an intern at BFM I think that really helped to hone like you know the interview skills that uh, you know really became very handy when I started this magazine with Shaf. So that really helped. And I think like I've always also been sort of interested or been into photography. So in a way that also helped when, you know, the magazine was on its on its on its run. Uh, so with those things it's pretty straightforward. With design, uh, for the first issue we had help from designer Ashley Gunn. So, you know, she really helped to sort of like help us define or, you know, we work really closely to define the design of the magazine. Now we're just evolving the design of the magazine. Uh, but also with editing, yeah, I think like uh, having a second opinion is really, really important in the editing process. So we got uh, one, Erdina. Uh, she's actually like the uh, sub-editor for this issue. So I think it's, yeah, we kind of, you know, get a little mix of both, right? The stuff that can be DIY, we kind of do it DIY to sort of like ensure that the cost of creating the magazine isn't too high. But there are parts where we really need to ensure that the quality is what it's supposed to be, uh, and that's where we get external help. Now. Yeah. Mm. Do you pay your contributors? Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's really important for us to pay our contributors. Of course, uh, the amount that we pay isn't what you know uh, the market rate is at the moment, but we are looking to get to that. Like for example, I think comparing volume one to volume two, I think now we are actually closer to what we want to pay or the market rate is. So, yeah, I think we definitely think that, you know, for any sort of creative work that comes through, we need to pay our contributors. We don't really believe in, like, paying people with exposure or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, we do pay our contributors. Mm. So, the magazine is supposed to be, if I'm not mistaken, uh, released twice a year, right? If I'm not mistaken, is that correct? (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, we were really optimistic. We were like, oh, you know, we're going to do biannual. Like, oh, geez, we're going to do like, what, four issues in two years. But yeah, you know, in the past year or so, a huge pandemic happened. And I think like for us, you know, we have our day jobs as well. And I think for many times that kind of had to take uh, precedent. So I think now we've kind of, you know, reached a sort of like annual or like 18 month-ish sort of like cycle. So I think that's something that perhaps also is good for the quality of the magazine, you know, really get to sit down and really think of a new team and like think of the interviewers or the interviewees that, you know, we want to speak to, you know, selecting contributors. So I think the annual sort of uh, cycle sort of is what we're working with now. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you, you are now actually aiming for, for an annual release rather than a biannual release, is it? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We were able to actually push one out like, you know, a year ish from now, but uh yeah hopefully you know the next time i speak to you i get to say like oh yeah you know the third one's out but we'll, we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes okay considering the circumstances and the nature of the project it's fair but at the same time um i mean you're entitled to also yeah i guess balance between your day jobs and also your what is essentially a passion project right but do you also feel the need to perhaps you know maybe stick to um tighter deadline i suppose so that you know it'll be more uniform or more memorable for followers to actually you know follow on a more regular basis I suppose yeah I mean definitely I think like deadlines are, are super important for us like to have that discipline to you know consistently push up work uh, but I think yeah you know life sort of happens and sometimes you know these deadlines have to take a little bit of a backseat but uh, I think one way that we've kind of uh, worked around this is that you know we've also created stuff in between these magazines like for example we also come up with like say some like you know t-shirts or like a tote bag just to kind of remind people like, oh, hey, you know, it's still alive, it's still here. You know, you can also get like a t-shirt if, if you know, maybe you want something a little bit different. Uh, and I think like after launch of this second volume, like we're looking to also like uh, collaborate with other, uh, say, graphic designers or like uh, storytellers in our city so that, you know, there are more actual collaborations in between like these titles, like the volumes, like the issues. So that is sort of one way for us to sort of like, you know, uh, keep the ball rolling and sort of like, you know, uh, push out work in between these issues, lah, if, if that sort of helps people to remind that they're still around. Mm. Um, what, what have you learned so far, you know, in producing two volumes of the magazine? Uh, what have you learned throughout the process, um, considering the nature of how, you know, the project came to be and everything? Uh, yeah, perhaps maybe you can share the journey, you know, the challenges, um, you know, things that you perhaps, you know, didn't foresee when you first started, you know, and having to deal with these things. Right, right. Uh, I think one big one was like, uh, I was actually talking to a friend about this. Like, so the phase of actually creating something or creating a project is always really fun, right? Because you're kind of creating it in your own sort of safe space. And like, uh, it's just fun like to, to create, to add more to something that you're working on. But I think the moment when you release it to the world, uh, I think it's a totally different challenge like for us as well. Because I remember like for the first issue, uh, you know, once we actually launched it, you know, suddenly you go from, you know, being like an editor or like a creator, you suddenly have to become like, you know, a social media marketer. You have to be like, you know, customer service guy. You got to be like, you know, logistics person. You got to make sure like people basically get their magazines, you know, on time. And, you know, the condition of the um, magazine is, is actually acceptable. And also you need to market this product that you've created with your friends. So I think that initial shock of you know going from one phase the creating phase to you know the marketing or like post launch phase was very overwhelming i think for us in the very beginning uh, but thankfully i think like over the course of like 
you know, the year and a half, we've slowly sort of like gotten used to, you know, the demands of like running something like this. And, you know, it's, it's not to say like, you know, it's super, super active. Like, you know, we are very lucky that we create something on a very, you know, like a one, two year basis where we don't get super busy. But even then, you know, we felt that it was quite a big jump. So I think like, uh, yeah, perhaps or to anyone who's looking to create something like this is to just sort of keep that in mind and perhaps like, yeah, be ready for, for this sort of like transition. I think that was the big challenge. Mm. Now, I don't want to jinx this, but uh, is there a worry of running out of steam? Uh, considering that I think um, you're not the first in actually producing this kind of magazine. And I mean, again, not to sound negative, but you know, there are projects like this that have, you know, that started out well, but eventually you know, just die down, right? So, so is there a worry that you might run out of steam, you know, eventually? And also, yeah, what are your plans to actually um, you know, sustain this in the long run? Right. I mean, I think it's definitely a worry for us. I think, yeah, the nature of, you know, the print medium is that it's, you know, you're basically starting from a, from a really difficult place. Lah. So, yeah, we've, we've kind of already, you know, known about the other uh, print magazines that we obviously love that, you know, unfortunately couldn't continue. So for us, you know, we really try to set, you know, really small or achievable milestones. Like for us, one key one is that we want to see projects in threes. So for example, we've launched volume one, volume two, and hopefully now our final step is to reach number three. Lah. So, and after we reach number three, then, you know, we'll sort of, you know, reorganize and say like, oh, is this something that we want to continue in this format or can it exist in a different format that would allow us to, you know, uh, continue with our goal of sharing these stories from artists and creatives from Malaysia. But at the same time, you know, we also need to be realistic in saying that this is also, while it is a passion project, it has to be run like a business. We have to make sure that, you know, our bottom line makes sense uh, you know, we have to ensure that we're actually able to sustain ourselves. I think a passion project is only fun when, you know, you're not actually bleeding like tons of money into it, right? I think it has to sort of sustain itself after a while. So, you know, stuff that we create like merch or like, you know, with the magazine as well, we have to ensure, we, we kind of designed it to actually allow us to keep ourselves afloat for at least these three first volumes. So that's sort of the plan that, you know, even before we started, we knew what we had to do. Uh, to ensure that we actually, you know, lived up to this goal of ours, which is the first three volumes. Mm. How are you on that front, if you don't mind me asking? And what's the reception like beyond just, you know, on a financial front? Like, you know, um, what what are the people saying about the magazine? Um, well, on the financial side, I think it's, it's going okay, thankfully. Uh, you know, it's not something that we are super worried about. Not to say we are like, you know, rolling in cash like Scrooge, like, like Uncle Scrooge or anything like that. Uh, but it makes sense. It makes sense. And it's something that allows us to continue. Uh, as with the critical reception, honestly, I don't know. No, like, uh, you know, we do get people who, who DM us once in a while that, oh, they like this, they like that. So I don't know. Like, I'm glad to hear sort of those things. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I probably should probably listen to more like people saying what they think. But I, I'm glad. Having been in the scene, um, having been in the industry, what are your, I guess, observations of the print industry um, at the moment? And, you know, people have this perception that, you know, the print industry is dying and everything. But, yeah, now that you're in it, like, what, what are your thoughts on it? And do you think that perhaps, you know, we're prematurely talking about the death of the print industry as much as, you know, in reality, you know, people might perceive it to be that way. But, you know, are there still hopes there? Mm, I guess the reality of it is that, yeah, we, we can't deny that print has really taken a step back from say like 50 or even like you know 10 20 years ago right 
and and that's okay because like you know we stuff with news that we really need like ASAP. Uh, that's where you know our phones and our computers and the internet does a lot better. And I think like that's what it should be. I think with print, we should play to the strengths of print, which is to create something that's very special. Uh, you know, it's a very tactile or physical sort of medium, right? So we can play with things like uh, you know type of paper with the type of print quality, all these things that you know is something that digital can never offer, right? I think like print will probably be very similar to how vinyl records are consumed today. Like people are not really consuming it for its convenience, right? Like people are purchasing them because they feel a connection like to this item, right? It brings joy to them as a collector. So I think print uh, in the print medium, you know, we should actually play to those strengths, lah, right? Which is like to create something really beautiful, something that people would actually say like, oh, when they see it on the shelf at the store, something that they go like, oh, okay, I, I need to buy this or, you know, this is something that will look really great on my shelf with my other hundreds of books that I have. So I think that's the role that print should actually play in this digital era. Lah. So hopefully, you know, we are also like uh, playing to those strengths. Lah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so the second volume has just been released. Um, so what, what are your next project or, you know, uh, what, what are your next process, I suppose, you know? Are you going to start working towards the third uh, volume right away or are you going to just, you know, relax a bit? <laughs> well, well uh, I guess it kind of is like we're probably going to take a little bit of time to like sort of like rest and recharge a little bit. Like we are kind of now uh, in the phase of, you know, pushing it out to the world. Like, for example, next week, 15th of January, we'll be having a launch party, uh, SOP compliant, obviously, where, you know, people can come and like, you know, talk about the magazine, talk about, uh, you know, the things within the magazine, like art, design, architecture. So that's something that we've been working on to organize as well. Other than that, you know, we've been contacting all the international bookstores or like magazine distributors. So we are looking to also like push it out into the world, make sure that, you know, the stories that we tell from Malaysia really goes out to an international audience. Lah. So I think this will probably take about maybe three to six months. And then probably from there, then I think, you know, we'll start to really think on what we want to do with the next issue. Lah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So for people out there who would like to find um, the magazine, where can they find it? Like, do they have only have to buy it from your website directly or you also have stockists around Malaysia? Right. So you can get it from our, mag- uh, from our website. Uh, uh, processmagazine.co or you could go to all the many stockers that we have uh, around KL like Elika, Snack Food, Anatomy at the Zongsan building, you know, in Penang we are also at uh, Six Sense store. So, but you can check like all that on our Instagram. So, you know, yeah, you just go on Instagram, there's like a whole list there, you can check it out. All right. And they can also buy the first volume if they miss the first volume, right? Um, Actually, I think we might be kind of sold out on there, but I think if I dig my um, you know, my my stash, I might be able to find one or two. So yeah, just just shoot me an email or DM me. Maybe I can find it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So what what are your hopes for process? You've already laid out your plans for the year, but yeah, I mean, what what are you looking forward to? I mean, in in this journey, I mean, like I asked you earlier, right? When you know, in making it sustainable in the long run, is this something that you will foresee yourself doing? You know, in twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four. Mm, I think probably like, you know, there will come a time, unfortunately, but, you know, we kind of have to sort of like uh, sunset the project for one reason or another. But, you know, perhaps like, you know, then it could exist in a different format, maybe like a hypnosium thing where, you know, people can come together and exchange ideas or like, you know, I could like, you know, pass on to say, we could pass on to another group of people to do it. I don't know, there could be some ideas. Lah. But uh, so far, we're just kind of 
you know, uh, enjoying the ride, you know, just like how, you know, forms of contemplation, we're just kind of, you know, taking it one step at a time, you know, not really too uh, worried about what's happening next, but, you know, just happy to sort of exist in the now, that sort of thing, yeah. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Liu Kong Hui, co-founder and editor of Process, an independent magazine that focuses on the thoughts of people in the creative industry. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at pfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at PFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station Thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes BFM 89.9 The Business Station